I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the real crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. Streets of Chicago, Harry Alleman is a famous man. People knew that if I go against this guy, I'm going to be killed. He's both a devoted family man to his daughter, Frankie. I had a very loving father, so I'm lucky. And a vicious killer. Harry Alleman rolls down the window and says, hey, Billy. He was shot. He was down. He was dead. When the FBI finally catches up to him, Alleman becomes even more famous. He was the first person in U.S. history to be tried for a murder for which he had previously been acquitted. His devoted daughter faces off against his detractors. And I said, I'm going to ask you a question. It doesn't matter anymore, Dad. Did you kill Billy Logan? On the mean streets of 1970 Chicago, Harry Alleman is one of the meanest. With a rap sheet a mile long, he's believed to be responsible for over a dozen murders. But to his stepdaughter, Frankie, he seems like an entirely different man altogether when he meets her mother, a widow with four children, and falls in love. He came up and he said, I want to marry your mom, and I want your permission. And he did that individually with each one of us. Young Frankie is thrilled with her new family life. Frankie Forliano. Daughter. It was very important for Harry to develop a relationship with each one of us, with my siblings, with myself, because I know he was in love with my mother. He was crazy about my mom. And now he was getting to know us. That was important to him. And it was just wonderful. We had a real family life. Now my mother was home and we're all together and she wasn't working anymore. My father would get up very early in the morning to go to work. He'd be gone like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So by the time we were getting dressed for school, he was already gone. And by the time we got home from school, he'd be home. And we always sat down and had dinner together. He just loved family and kids and real sweet person that way. Very loving. I had a very loving father, so I'm lucky. Harry Alleman may be a loving father at home, but on the streets of Chicago, he's one of the most feared enforcers in organized crime known locally as the Chicago Outfit. Lee Fiosi, retired FBI Chicago Organized Crime Task Force. The, the heyday of the uh, mafia, or the outfit as it's known in Chicago, occurred during the period of Al Capone. His successors had all the benefits of what Capone created, plus a little more finesse, so that they were able to become much more successful and organize all criminal activity in the Chicago area. So a career burglar that did nothing but burglarize. If he became known to the outfit, they would then approach him and tell him, we control crime in this city. If you want to continue to burglarize, you're going to have to pay us a tax. As an enforcer, Alleman's role is to make sure that everyone pays up. Maurice Posley, author, Everybody Pays. Harry Alleman did this full-time for several years, strong-arming all these peripheral criminals into becoming moneymakers for the outfit. Like legendary Chicago enforcer Frank Nitti, played by Stanley Tucci in the film Road to Perdition, Alleman is known on the streets as a man 
who is not to be crossed. Harry um, was not a, a large man. He was kind of medium height and slight build, but beneath that sort of exterior was someone who was very tough. Uh, he was nicknamed the Hook early on because he was a boxer and he had a good left hook. He had an extremely volatile temper that could go off at any moment. And when it did, you didn't want to be in the way. And those that did not cooperate initially, the bookmakers, for example, that say, hey, go to hell, I'm not going to give you a piece of my action, they were killed. And it doesn't take long for that word to spread. When uh, Harry Allen came to knock on your door, they were afraid. They were afraid. By 1972, Alleman has already been charged with assault, grand theft auto, aggravated kidnapping, and burglary, but has never been convicted. Harry Aleman was a difficult guy to pin down. It was difficult to get him for major crimes. Anybody can get away with certain activities for a period of time, but to do it consistently throughout your life, there's not too many people that have been successful in doing that, and Harry Aleman is a good example. No doubt he was successful because he was good at what he did, one of the reasons is because of the fear factor. People knew that if I go against this guy, I'm going to be killed. On September 27, 1972, Harry Alleman drives through a residential neighborhood in Chicago. At 11 p.m., William Logan, taxi driver and Teamster shop steward, leaves for his night shift with the Gladstone Cab Company. Billy Logan lived on the west side of Chicago with two of his sisters. He walked out his front door intending to walk to his car and drive to work. As he walked down the steps, he heard a voice from a car that had pulled up in front. Harry Ellerman rolls down the window and says, Hey, Billy! And as Billy walks over to his car, pulls out a shotgun and shoots him twice. He then gets out with a 45 automatic and shoots him one other time. The end of Billy Logan. He was shot and he was down and he was dead. And the car was gone. Police arrive at the scene of William Logan's murder within minutes of the crime. But the evidence is found wanting. The forensic evidence that was collected at the scene basically amounted to ballistics evidence. There were no fingerprints. There were nothing really. He'd been shot from a distance. Harry used deer slugs. He didn't use the shotgun shells that had a pattern. It leaves a big hole. It leaves a bigger hole on the other side. Clearly, he bled out right on the scene. There may have been some gunshot residue certainly from the pistol shots that was close, but that was pretty much the extent of the forensic evidence. They did it methodically, which is not your typical criminal that goes to jail. They usually make all kinds of stupid mistakes and leave an evidence behind. In the murder of William Logan, police are left with very little to go on. Soon after the murder, Harry Alleman is back in his suburban Chicago home with his family, including teenaged Frankie. Alleman's family has no idea that he's capable of cold-blooded murder. The father Frankie knows is refined and cultured. He actually went to the Art Institute, which uh, was very much an honor. And he put himself through school. He loved to draw, and he graduated from there. 
It was very important to my father that my family was cultured. He loved art to begin with. So if you love art, it took him into the opera, Pavarazzi, and he loved all that stuff. He would take us to the museum and he would love to talk about the paintings or the artwork and he would go on and on and on and you'd be to a point, okay, enough, I want to go, but you learned, you learned from it. But Olliman's family also sees flashes of his famous temper. Harry is a strict father who has always expected his children to be well-mannered and polite, even when they were young. My brothers were young, probably uh, fifth grade, sixth grade. We were getting ready for our Sunday dinner. And there came a loud knock at the door. And my mom's like, who's he at the door? My father opens the door, crack open. And there's this big, tall, huge guy standing at the door. And he says to my father, your kids were jumping on my pickup truck. And they scratched it all up. So my father's like, okay. Well, if my kids did anything, I'll, I'll certainly, you know, honor it. So he says to us, wait here. And at the time, he went and got my uncle. My father said, we'll go down there, then we'll wash and wax his truck, and we'll have no problems with this guy. Even as a child, Frankie knows that her well-mannered father is not to be crossed. We sit down. Here comes the knock at the door again. Are you kidding me? It's no. this guy, and he's at the door, and he's going, hey, Harold, real loud. My father's name is Harry, not Harold. He's going, hey, Harold, you didn't do such a hot job on my truck. My father turned around, took a look at my mother, and said, honey, don't worry about anything. I'll be right back in a minute. That was it. He went out the door. It must have took just a couple minutes. He came back in, and we all turned and looked, and there was blood all over his uh, Dago tee, T-shirt. And my mom was like, what happened? And he's like, don't worry about it, honey. Everything's okay. So we didn't say another thing. We sat down and continued eating our dinner. It was a normal thing that we didn't ask a lot of questions. That's all part of the code. And because of that, there's a great deal of loyalty that exists within the organized crime family. Even as Frankie becomes a teenager, the strict code of conduct remains. My father never wanted us to answer the door. That was his rule because... He was always skeptical of who it could be. I was home one night, and I was getting dressed to go out. And I heard a knock at the door. My father went and answered. I heard my dad get loud, and he said, I told you not to come to my house. Now I'm paying attention. I'm listening. And he's like, I told you never to come to my house. Don't come here. The guy was trying to explain why he was there and being kind of loud. And the next thing I know, my dad just like... Punched him a couple times and threw him out the front door. He said, this guy is goofy. This guy's a little crazy. He's here, he's bothering me, he wants money. I don't trust this guy, I don't want him around us. So I threw him out, he's no good. I never felt like anyone could hurt me, my father was there. That's just how I felt growing up. I just accepted it, I guess. I was used to that. When you have a situation where it's pretty clear what someone's outside life was. And you have people who are very close to him and can't even fathom that it could be true. That's really an artful job of separating two really different lives. And Alleman was apparently very good at it. 
But in the wake of Billy Logan's murder... So the only way to really solve one of these was to either get a witness who was brave enough, or stupid enough, you might say, some might say, to come forward. Alamance's two separate lives come crashing together. Notorious Chicago mobster Harry Alleman is both a devoted father to his daughter, Frankie. I never felt like anyone could hurt me. My father was there. That's just how I felt growing up. And a vicious enforcer with a long criminal record. Been arrested for stealing a car, kidnapping, a couple of other attempted robbery or robbery kind of thing. In 1972, he murders Chicago teamster William Logan in cold blood. But as depicted in the Hollywood blockbuster The Untouchables, corruption in Chicago makes members of the outfit notoriously difficult to prosecute. Organized crime has several advantages over typical street crime in that they have an organization that can hire the best attorneys, they can use the forces of their political friends and allies to get preferential treatment, fix a case, they bribe jurors, they bribe police officers. All these factors, in addition to the fear factor, are some of the reasons why there's a, a lesser incidence of conviction of organized crime figures. Authorities know Alleman is a dangerous man and want to put him behind bars. But Alleman's teenage daughter, Frankie, sees him as an overprotective father who will go to extremes to look out for her. My father did not want me to just go out with a guy. At the time, a lot of my friends were getting engaged and kind of young. And my father came home one day, and he said, I want to talk to you. And he sat me down. And he said, you know what? I don't want you to just go out with a guy and date him and just get an engagement ring from him just so you could have a diamond ring. And he gave me a one-carat diamond ring. And it was beautiful, and it was exciting. And... It was just a beautiful thing, and I was like, oh, my God, so thrilled. So, no, I wasn't going to take a ring just to take a ring. He wanted me to know that it meant something. If somebody gives you a ring, you're promising something to that person, and if you can't commit to that, you shouldn't do it. When Frankie does commit, it's to someone of her father's choosing. When I got married the first time, well, my dad, he was the ringleader. He set it up because he wanted me to date this guy, and I did. So he, he kind of handpicked him. Harry Alleman's influence extends well beyond his family and into the mean streets of Chicago. After Logan was murdered, there were a series of mob hits over the next three or four years. People were being shotgunned inside of cars. One guy was blown away standing in line at an Italian beef stand stabbed in the neck with an ice pick. These were people who had uh, incurred the wrath of the mob for one reason or another. By the mid-1970s, FBI investigators view him as a prime suspect for multiple murders. But Harry Alleman has yet to be charged. Our experience with organized crime was such that we recognized that the fear, intimidation that organized crime had upon witnesses, bystanders even, was such that it was an impediment, an incredible impediment to getting successful prosecutions. We developed informants, but they would never be willing to testify uh, because they knew what the consequences of that was. If they testified, they would, their life would be placed in jeopardy. And they were also of the belief that their families 
safety would be placed in jeopardy. So they had no reason to testify. They would never testify. As Frankie ages, she starts to realize that there is more to her father than she knew. Growing up now, there seemed to be some problems coming along that we weren't aware of with my father. And I became aware of those, those problems in the 70s. After the breakdown of her first marriage, Frankie moves back in with her family. My father uh, picked me up and said, this is it, you know, come back home. Everything's going to be okay, and that's what I did. I went back home. Leave him wanting. Leave him with a sweet taste in his mouth is what my father said. Sometimes I, w I think about that t today, you know. I left with nothing, just my clothes. I left with uh, pride. But Frankie finds that things in the Alleman household have changed. A string of mob-related murders means the FBI is more determined than ever to find a way to bring Alleman down. All these mob hits were sitting there in a stack of police folders, all unsolved. And so there was a lot of political pressure that was starting to build because bodies were starting to pile up. Facing increasing scrutiny from the FBI, Harry is no longer able to keep his family life separate. He warns his daughter of what's to come. Frankie, you gotta talk to you. He said there's gonna be a lot of things coming up on TV, and I don't want you to watch TV, and I don't want you guys to pay attention to the news media, because they make up a lot of stories, and it's gonna hurt you if you hear these things about me. And I don't want it to change your opinion of me. He was preparing us as a family. He was schooling us. He was teaching us. Alleman gives his children lessons in FBI procedure. My father had a lot of knowledge about the FBI and things that they have done, going back in, into politics, what they've done to other people. So we were pretty schooled about the FBI. We didn't have a phone in our house, so they, they couldn't eavesdrop on our conversations. I knew that they couldn't search me, you know. I knew that they had to come back with a warrant. I knew that, too. I didn't trust the FBI at all. I was afraid of them. Frankie is alone in the house when the FBI finally comes knocking. So when they first came to my house, when my parents weren't home, looking for my father, I wouldn't let him in. I said, no, you're not coming in. You get a search warrant. And they said, eh, nah, 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 you know, pushing their way in. I go, no, you're not getting in my house. You get a search warrant, show it to me. Believe me, I was a little nervous. There's like 10 of them out there with guns. I knew that they'd be back in five minutes because the courthouse was right down the street. I was already prepared for that. I had no way of reaching my parents. They were gone. I moved as quickly as I could. I had to get the cash and my mother's jewelry. And that was the first thing I thought of. They came back with a warrant for shell casings. So they just were loving the fact that they can come in. They were wrecking the house, messing it, throwing stuff all over the floors. There were no guns, but there were a lot of ammunition in the house. And they just came in and took the ammunition out. With no illegal weapons found, the FBI is no closer to bringing charges against Harry Alleman. Getting evidence through normal legal means, like search warrants against organized crime figures, is not very productive because they're too smart. They have criminal lawyers that give them advice before they go out to commit a crime. They destroy the evidence before anybody gets a chance to see it. That's the normal situation. They're professional killers, if you will. But the FBI is about to get a break that will change everything. Oh.
the mid-1970s, Chicago mob enforcer Harry the Hook Alleman is a prime suspect in multiple murders. Hoping to find the proof they need to put him behind bars, the FBI executes a search warrant for Alleman's home. Alleman's daughter Frankie is alone in the house when the FBI comes knocking. I didn't trust the FBI at all. I was afraid of them. And I was afraid of the news media as well, so I didn't want to talk to people. In spite of a lengthy record of criminal arrests, Alleman continues to roam the streets a free man. Well, some people considered the mob in those days as virtually untouchable. And what we now and later came to know was they had tentacles that reached into law enforcement, particularly the Chicago Police Department. And so with that comes a certain untouchability because you know that things can get buried. In 1975, the FBI finally gets the break it's been waiting for in the form of mobster Louis Almeida. Louis Almeida was part of the mob. He drove for Alleman. He was his errand boy. And he was good at some of the things he did. He was a pretty good driver. He was willing to point a gun at somebody. He was an order taker. He was a go there, go here, give me that, do this. Kind of guy. Harry and Almeida have been friends since they were kids. My grandmother never liked Louis Almeida. He was a bad kid. He was a burglar. He came from a broken family. She fed him because she felt sorry for him, but she also didn't want my dad to hang out with him. Back in 1975, Louis Alameda went off with another thug on his way to Cincinnati, I believe, to execute somebody else for $10,000 was their pay. Uh, and they got arrested en route. It was a speeding thing. He kept telling the guy to slow down, but it was too late. They got caught. And so they asked him to pop the trunk, and they had all these guns. I mean, and that became a beef, a serious beef. They were taken into custody. They were charged. The FBI offers Almeida a deal. We went to see him, and he became our informant. We had him as a witness, so we worked with him for a couple of years, and he told us about the Harry Aleman case. Almeida tells the FBI every detail about the night Billy Logan died. Louis Almeida knew exactly what went down. He saw it happen. He was sitting in the driver's seat when Alleman killed Billy Logan. Louis Alameda was approached by Alleman and told him, I want you to surveil this guy for the next two weeks, so we're going we're gonna to hit him. He surveilled him for a couple weeks, decided what he knew what his work habits were. He knew that at a certain time in the evening, he went to work. He worked the night shift, apparently. Almeida tells police he watched as Alleman shot Logan, first with a shotgun, and then with a pistol. Almeida's witness testimony that he saw Alleman shoot Logan could help put Alleman behind bars. But the FBI is hesitant. The only problem we had, and it's a big problem, with using criminals. Generally, the people that were informants were also involved in the same kind of criminal activity, perhaps at a lower level. So it became difficult with regard to reliability or credibility on the witness stand. And certainly, in every single case, the defense attorneys would parade their testimony, their witnesses, to demonstrate that this guy's not reliable, he's a criminal, he's been convicted of these various crimes, and so forth. He's doing it so he wouldn't go to jail himself. You had a guy who wasn't particularly brilliant. 
He had a guy who had a, a sketchy background. He was a second grade dropout. He had basically been involved in a bunch of minor petty crimes and what he had done since then wasn't something you put on a job resume. And here he was going to implicate his boss in a murder. And so anyone who testifies and is going to get some sort of favorable treatment on their own charges is someone whose credibility has to be questioned. To strengthen their case against Alamein, investigators revisit the details of the 1972 Logan murder and uncover a surprising detail. A man named Bob Lowe had given a statement to police on the night of the murder. Bobby Lowe is a citizen. He's a witness. He, he didn't want to be there. He just was. And he witnessed this, and he was being honest and reported it. He gave his story. I was just going out for a walk. Bob Lowe told police that a car came up, screeched to a halt in front of him, and someone stuck a shotgun out of the back of the car, shot Billy Logan twice. A man got out, fired a gun, pistol, into Billy Logan. It's 11 o'clock or so at night. He's off for a walk before he goes to bed. He sees this car pull up. And he hears him yell out, hey, Billy. And then he hears two shotguns. And he was in shock. I mean, he's virtually no more than 15 feet away. They had this face-to-face contact for a few seconds before Aleman got back in the car. By that time, Bobby Logan regained his composure and got the hell out of there. Bob was asked to come to a police station and look through books, mugshot books. And he identified a photograph of the man that he saw that night. And the police officer said, very much. We'll take care of it. That was a picture of Alleman. That was put into a police report, which was promptly buried. Such was the reach of organized crime in those days. Unlike Louis Almeida, a known gangster with a criminal history, Bob Lowe has no ties to the mob, no criminal record, and no motive to testify against Harry Alleman. He knew that the right thing to do is to stand up and to say what you saw, um, that that's the way society is supposed to operate, that when you see something like this. And Billy Logan was someone he knew. He was certainly an acquaintance. They lived across the street from each other, practically. They talked to each other. He saw his life basically pour out onto the ground right there in front of him. I don't think that he truly understood the gravity of what he was doing when he did it. As the Cook County State's attorney prepares to bring a murder indictment against Alleman, Harry reassures his frightened family. At the time, all these allegations were coming out about my dad. And, you know, I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't want to see my father go to jail. Murder, that's scary in itself. I mean, just the sound of it was just devastating. He kept saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay, we're going to get through this, we're a family, let's stick together, don't talk to anybody about it, and just, you know, go to school, keep your heads high. Alleman's trial gets underway in May of 1977. The prosecution's theory at the trial was that Harry was a hired killer, that he was a mob killer, and that 
when the mob said, we need this guy taken care of, he took care of him. That Harry did, you know, it was like, you know, paint this house. Well, so you go paint the house. Go kill this guy. So that's what he did. The prosecution has a strong case. They had an eyewitness who was not connected and someone on the inside. The two things that you never get. Bob Lowe testified at the trial in the same fashion that he described what happened that night. But four people, including Alleman's wife, give Harry an alibi. My mother testified to the fact the night of the murder that she was at the golf range. There was a golf range where you used to hit the balls like three blocks from our house. My father and mother were there like every night. She understood and she knew that she would probably would need to provide an alibi for her husband because of that background that he had. And she did. She did exactly that in, in the Billy Logan case. She said, uh, you know, he was with me. He couldn't have been out killing Billy Logan. He was with me that night. Throughout the trial, Frankie struggles with the difficult allegations against her father. He said, do not show the court any emotion. If you're dying inside and you want to cry your heart out, don't do it in front of them. Number one, it's going to hurt me. And number two, it's going to destroy you. Because once you start crying, you're not going to be able to stop. Don't let them know because that's what they want from you. So we kept firm. We kept quiet, and we never, ever talked to the media. No member of the Chicago outfit has ever been convicted of a mob hit. But the prosecution presents a powerful case. You have an eyewitness that identified the trigger man as a shooter. You had the man that drove him there that testified, yeah, I drove him there, and I, he had me stake him out for two weeks. He went there to kill him, and I saw him kill him. But throughout the trial, Alleman remains surprisingly confident. My father was very calm during the trial, very cool. He was very collected. And he was very sure that everything was going to be okay. Alleman's demeanor was that of someone who was almost so confident that you had to wonder what was really going on when the judge came out onto the bench to give his decision in the case. I think that certainly most of the news media thought that this was going to be a conviction. But the judge's decision shocks the courtroom. Harry the Hook Alleman is one of the most feared men in 1970s Chicago. As an enforcer for the Chicago outfit, he's believed to be responsible for over a dozen mob hits. In 1977, five years after Alleman murders Teamster shop steward William Logan in cold blood, Authorities finally bring him to trial. In the courtroom, Alleman's daughter, Frankie, struggles to keep herself together. He said, do not show the court any emotion. If you're dying inside and you want to cry your heart out, don't do it in front of them. To prosecutors, it looks like an open and shut case. I think that the prosecution at the time believed they were going to win. They had two things that usually are not present in mob hits. They had someone on the inside and they had a disinterested eyewitness who was going to identify Alleman as the shooter. But in a shocking move, the judge returns a verdict of not guilty. I mean, you have an eyewitness that identified the trigger man as a shooter. You had the man that drove him there that testified, yeah, I drove him there, and I, he had me stake him out for two weeks. He went there to kill him, and I saw him kill him, and they acquitted him anyway. Incredible. 
I always thought that it helped explain some of his demeanor, at least based on what the reports were of how he was acting during the trial, which was supremely self-confident, almost to the point of, you know, you take a step back and say, why is this guy so confident? But I don't think it, the alarm bells ever really kind of went off until afterward. To Alleman's family, the verdict closes a dark chapter in their lives. This is a lot to endure as a family. It was a lot of pain and agony, and it upset everybody, and it was hard. It was a very, very difficult time in our lives. But he got dismissed. He got let go, and things were going to be back to normal. And that's what happened. We went to trial, and my father got dismissed of all charges. Not long after, it's business as usual on the streets of Chicago. Just three weeks after Alleman's acquittal, a high-profile auto thief is found with two shotgun wounds to the head. Three weeks after the trial, someone's whacked in a car. Classic signs of being a mob hit. The natural assumption in law enforcement would have been Harry was back to work. When the Cook County State's attorney fails to put Alleman behind bars, the FBI moves on to plan B. After Harry Alleman was acquitted of the Billy Logan murder, he continued his criminal activity. He never slowed down. In the Bureau, the FBI made a case on him under RICO, the RICO statute, the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization statute. The federal government prosecuted Alleman for a series of robberies and loan sharking and an assortment of crimes, and they charged him under the RICO law, which was enacted specifically to target members of organized crime. The RICO Act gives the FBI broad powers to go after individual mob members. They then consider a group of organized crime figures to be an organization. And each one of them can be convicted then for the acts of the others, even though we may not have specific evidence of one of the individuals involved in all of the crimes. They said he orchestrated a burglary. It wasn't there, but he orchestrated it, where people got tied up in the house and this and that, and their stuff got stolen. So he went to jail for that. They did get him to go to jail. In 1978, Alleman receives a 30-year sentence and is sent to federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia. When my father was in prison in Atlanta, that was hard because it consisted of a lot of flying back and forth to the prison. The stigma of her father's incarceration affects Frankie's own family. I was having all this outside pressure. And there was a time, I'll never forget it, when I did drive down and let my mother-in-law babysit for my daughter. So I got home, and she was standing at the top of the stairs with her jacket on. I mean, not even give me a chance to take my coat off. How was my daughter? How was my family? How's everything? She goes, well, you had the nerve to go away and visit your father on Father's Day. I said, but we explained it all to you. Why are you doing this? She goes, it doesn't matter anyways. Your father's a killer. Well, when she said that to me, I was like, live it. The choice to stay loyal to her father takes a toll on Frankie. I just didn't feel any support there at all. I was alone. I was alone, just doing my thing, taking care of my own child by myself. And that's really what it boiled down to, and I had to be supportive for my family. And that's what I felt was right. In April 1989, after serving 11 years of his sentence, Alleman is granted parole for good behavior. He returns home to live with his wife, daughter, and new grandson. 
That's when the FBI got involved, really got involved, because Harry was walking. We were notified the minute he got out of jail. We know that he's going to get together with his cronies and they're going to celebrate his release. And so we want to cover that. It's almost like covering a mob wedding. We want to see who the guests are for the same reason. Alleman's friends and family gather to celebrate his 50th birthday. I threw a big party for him, and it was a lot of fun. And it was a great time. I just want you to know I waited a long time for you to come home, and that I love you with all my heart. But the FBI is never far away. So he was on our radar immediately. I mean, this is a notable figure in Chicago organized crime. His activities are of great interest to the FBI. My father went to work for a construction company and lived at our house. And that was great. I mean, he was with me for about nine months before trouble brewed again. Within a year of his release, Harry Alleman is re-indicted on more racketeering charges stemming from his mob activities in the 1970s. He pleads guilty to extortion in exchange for a 12-year sentence. A guy like Alleman pleading guilty is very unusual. And he was probably told that you should probably plead guilty so this thing doesn't go any further than it has already. He committed to this plea bargain so they wouldn't go after him because if they would have went after him for another murder then, which we were, they were trying to prove, I felt like, oh my God, he'll get life and never come home. In 1990, Alleman begins his new prison sentence, expecting to once again be released early. But three years later, a new witness steps forward who sheds light on an old case. While Harry Alleman was serving his sentence on the RICO violation in the uh, mid-90s, we developed Robert Cooley as an informant. The tip uncovers corruption at the highest level and reveals the truth about the William Logan murder. But Alleman's 1977 acquittal means he remains untouchable for now. In American jurisprudence, there's a concept called double jeopardy, which means you, once you're acquitted of something, you cannot be tried a second time. And so in Alleman's case, they had to get around this if they were going to re-prosecute him for Billy Logan's murder. If you like what you're hearing, check out the Real Crime TV series on Reels Channel. You'll find chilling true stories of capital offenders brought to justice, like Chris Watts, the Colorado killer dad, Jeffrey Epstein, the sex trafficker who died in jail with his secrets, and a new report on the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Then, check out Reels' medical mystery series, Autopsy. Autopsy reveals what really killed screen and music legends like Amy Winehouse, River Phoenix, Elvis Presley, and Robin Williams. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. Chicago outfit enforcer Harry the Hook Alleman is believed to be responsible for over a dozen mob hits. But when prosecutors fail to convict him of murder... The FBI puts him in prison for RICO violations. They're re-indicting, which that killed me. That just killed everybody. It just killed this one. They came after him again after here. He just did 12 years. What do they want? Charged with racketeering and extortion, 
Alleman makes a plea deal, hoping to put an end to the government's pursuit. He committed to this plea bargain so they wouldn't go after him. But in 1993, 17 years after a judge acquitted Alleman for the murder of William Logan, the FBI develops a new informant, Robert Cooley. Robert Cooley was a Chicago lawyer who was arguably the most corrupt lawyer in the history of Chicago, and that's saying something. He was a lawyer for the mob. He was their fixer. Robert Cooley was a prestigious attorney. I say that loosely. He was a mob attorney, but he was an attorney. He was a member of the bar in good standing. But his clients were a lot of organized crime types. And when you've got those kind of clients, you have to take shortcuts. You have to try and win by hook or crook. And that's what Cooley did. By the 1990s, Cooley decides to turn against his former employers. He had a change of heart for whatever reason. That happens with people. We approached them during that time, and we convinced them to cooperate. And, and he did in a lot of other cases, not just the Harry Edelman case. Cooley tells the FBI that in 1977, he bribed the judge presiding over the Logan murder trial. Cooley testified that he paid $10,000 to the judge to acquit Alleman. In a move reminiscent of the 1999 film Double Jeopardy, Alleman's lawyers argue that the government can't prosecute him based on this new evidence. Under our Constitution, if you are tried for a crime and you are acquitted, you cannot be tried for that crime again. However, the idea of jeopardy requires that it was fair, that you were actually in jeopardy, that you actually had a trial, and that the jury heard the evidence, the judge heard the evidence, and you were acquitted based on a fair assessment of the evidence. Prosecutors argue that in Alleman's case, double jeopardy does not apply. In the first trial, Robert Cooley bribed the judge before the trial began. So Alleman was never in jeopardy. In fact, during the course of the trial, he sat at his defense table with a smirk on his face because he knew the outcome and he could afford to smirk. And he was acquitted. So jeopardy was never attached and he could be tried again. The new judge agrees and rules that Harry Alleman can once again be tried for the murder of William Logan. The defense filed an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear it had never been done before, but we felt that we had a good case. He was the first person in U.S. history to be tried for a murder for which he had previously been acquitted. In September of 1997, Harry Alleman's retrial gets underway. Louis Almeida and Bob Lowe are once again called to testify, and prosecutors now have Robert Cooley, their ace in the hole. My father's witnesses are all gone. They're dead or one is incoherent. And now they come back with uh, a new witness that was on the government's payroll, which was Bob Cooley. The government also presents a new theory about Alleman's motive for murder. Billy Logan had been married, unbeknownst to law enforcement at the time, to a cousin of Harry Alleman. They were divorced, and it was a very acrimonious divorce, tremendous infighting over custody of the children. He was a, a bad husband, a bad father, apparently, at least from their point of view. And he was uh, mean-spirited. He mistreated his former wife and got Harry Aleman upset with him. It was strictly a personal thing. After only four hours of deliberation, the jury declares Aleman guilty of first-degree murder. He is sentenced to a minimum of 100 years and a maximum of 300 years in state prison. 
For the next 11 years, Frankie continues to visit her father in prison. If anybody spends 33 years in prison, the chances of them coming out alive, it's not going to happen. My father always said that. He was diagnosed with lung cancer, fourth stage. In 2010, before he dies, Frankie pays one last visit to her beloved dad. When I saw my father, he said to me, do you have anything you want to say to me? He asked me. And I said, no, Dad, what do you mean? He goes, did I ever embarrass you? Did my life shame you? Did I ever hurt you? Are you ashamed of me as your father for all these things and for me missing out on all these years? And he's sick, you know? And I said, no, I love you more than anything in the world. I'm not ashamed of you. I love you. You're my father. And I said, I'm going to ask you a question. It doesn't matter anymore, Dad. Did you kill Billy Logan? Just like that. I can't even believe I said it. Not that it matters. I, I don't care if he did or didn't now. I love him. Just tell me. He looked at me and he said, I told you I was going to go to jail at one point in my life. But I would have done a much better time being in jail for something I did than something I didn't do. He said, honey... I did not kill Billy Logan. I did a lot of bad things in my life, but this I am not guilty of. And I said, okay, it wouldn't have mattered to me if he did or didn't. I would have still loved him. No matter what people think of me, I would have still loved my father. You love your parents, no matter who they are. I Lived With a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived With a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel.